Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 175 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Byron, and I got my friend Gary here. How you doing, Gary? Oh, man. Together we are known as Barry. Or Hyron. <laughs> Hyron, I mean. I'm sorry. No, this is Gary, and he is Byron. How are you doing, Byron? I'm doing awesome. We've got a great episode lined up today, buddy. Bernardo Faria. Um, so we've had him on the show before. Um, we've actually had him on another show where we talked to uh, six different black belts. So this will actually be his third time on the show. But uh, uh, Bernardo is just a world-class uh, uh, athlete, uh, black, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. So definitely do not click off this show until at least you listen to the Bernardo Faria interview. Absolutely. Well, and after that, my friends, we have a brand new Matt Tails Hot off the press, so uh, that and it's a good one. It is a good one. It's a doozy. <laughs> it, it's a doozy, all right. Um, you know, so you definitely don't want to miss that. But like I said, don't miss uh, Bernardo Faria, and don't miss anything. And the way you won't miss anything is to get on our email list, my friends. Uh, basically, we got a, a link to it in the show notes. Just put your email address in there. We need a valid email address. Don't make one up, um, but an email address, and we'll send you out a link to the show each and every week on a Tuesday. That way you never miss a show. Um, so it's, like I always say, it's the gift that keeps on giving. The whole year round. Speaking about the whole year round, Gary, I transitioned that myself. Uh, we want you to stick to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu if you're still in your first year. It's a really important time. Uh, we have an audiobook that is just for you. It's eleven ninety nine. The money goes to help the podcast and keep the show going. It's got uh, 11 and a half hours of content. It's basically me talking to you about what to expect your first year, uh, getting through your first month, finding the right gym, uh, highlighting some of the benefits of Jiu-Jitsu, talking about the key positions and techniques that you might want to focus on during your first year of training. Lots of stuff going on there. Uh, I think a lot of people get mixed up their first year and are kind of often led down the wrong way, and I definitely don't want that to happen to any of our listeners out there. So uh, check it out. There's links to it in the show notes. Go to the website. You can find there easily as well there's a little yep. video where i explain uh basically what the audiobook is about in a little bit more detail as well yep one thing about jujitsu is you always want to be there and uh help your teammates out if somebody makes a mistake you know you you kind of want to tell them and, and drill it to um so you get it down and byron i would like to say you made a mistake there you said 11 and a half hours of content uh it's two and a half hours of content <laughs> So uh, um, I know you guys are expecting the other uh, nine hours of content, but two and a half hours of content, only $11.99, uh, getting great reviews, and I'll definitely help you out. So check it out. Yeah, thank you for the correction, Gary. You always get my back. I got your back, literally. All right, Gary, let's roll on to the quote of the week. Uh, it's one from a gentleman named Oscar Wilde. And Oscar said, experience is the one thing that you can't get for nothing. You have to earn experience. There's there's really no other way around it is, I think, what he's getting at there. Um, yep. you know, a lot of people are handed stuff for free and, and things just come their way. But experience, everybody has to earn that. Yeah, you basically just have to get in there and do it. Um, you know, I like to say get thrown into the deep end. Um, get out there and do it. 
and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to run into roadblocks, uh, kind of like what we talked about with the uh, the um, first year in BJJ. You're, you're going to have a lot of things that are going to come up that are going to get thrown at you. And like Byron said, if you're handed it for free, you're never going to know that stuff. We're going to have highs. We're going to have lows. We're going to have ups and downs, peaks and valleys, whatever you want to call it. But there's so much learning potential in all that. Um, and it's going to make your journey so much sweeter when you get to the end. And and we're never necessarily going to get to the end of the jiu-jitsu journey, but it can be an end of a short-term goal, like uh, compete in a local tournament, you know, your first tournament. And by the time you're done, you know, you're going to feel the elation that you did it. Um, and, you know, so it's just, you know, it, you've got to get that experience and, and just get in there, do it and learn from it. And, and share in the the joy uh, once you uh, accomplish your goals. Yeah, Gary, you've mentioned competing. Uh, I think that's a good one to talk about experience. If you want to go compete at a big tournament and you've never really competed before, you've got to. It's really advisable to get some experience on the mat, maybe before that big one shows up. So if there's some local tournaments or some regional ones, and you're wanting to go uh, do a big one, you should definitely look into doing the smaller tournaments uh, just to get some experience under your belt. And, and that way you'll you'll have some of your nervousness kind of already gotten rid of and uh, taken care of. It's just a good way to gain experience in you know, kind of a tune-up process and uh, figure out what it's like to compete if you've never done it before versus like train really hard, train really hard, and then go compete at some huge tournament that you've been training hard for, but you really haven't had that competition experience yet. And uh, it's a little different, you know, the nervous will be there. And the the, uh, the weigh-ins and, you know, growing with somebody you don't know and a lot of different little factors there. But you really need the experience of that will help you uh, quite a bit. Also talking about experience, just getting onto that mat the first time. I, I just remember thinking about I wanted to try jujitsu. I thought it would be cool, this and that. But I had to get out there and get on the mat. I had to force myself to go into that gym I may have got tapped out numerous times. I may have got beaten up and just smashed and bruised and actually not bloody, but I was going to say bloodied. But I had to go through all that experience. I had to step out there the first time and and feel what it's like to get on. And to be honest, that's what's got me addicted. When I got on the mat, somebody I looked at that I figured I was much stronger than, much better shaped than, that person just physically dominated me made me feel like i was a little kid and couldn't do anything when you're helpless on the mat that experience just i'm that person that i i don't quit it i i just keep going and going and going so i wanted to be someday to have that same skill level that the first person i went up against that uh, i could do that to somebody and um without that very first day of having enough guts to get out on that mat and just learn this art that I have now become addicted to. And uh, it's so much fun, but I just still remember that first time I ever did get on the mat. That's an experience that you earned and uh, you'll always be able to, to have with you there, Gary. Yep, nobody can take it away. Well, if you forget it, the choke that put you out that made you forget your uh, memories would be uh, one way to take it away. <laughs> well, when I forgot my memories about that choke that put me out, that was really no big deal. I just didn't like the the spot that I soiled my gi pants. That was the bad part. Some say it was soiled before the choke. <laughs> oh, that could have been. Could have oh, been. Man. Hey, Gary, I've got a good idea. I get one of these about once every two months. 
Uh, I don't think you get in that. <laughs> um, this week, our article of the week is by our friend Joe Thomas. It is 22 off the mat habits that will improve your on the mat performance. Why don't this time we give Joe a call and get him on the show with us to discuss this article? You know, I think that's a great idea. And speaking of Joe Thomas, he has sent us so many good articles lately. He's kind of like your audio book, uh, you know, your first year in BJJ. It's the gift that keeps giving. Seems like we've gotten so many from him and, and so many great articles that uh, it's the gift that keeps giving. So uh, let's uh, give Joe a call. All right. We have Joe Thomas joining us today on the podcast. Joe, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How you all doing? We are great. We are excited to have you on this show. To be honest, I feel like you're part of the show. We've, we've, you know, talked to you, you know, not talked to you, but emailed you so many times and, and got a bunch of uh, your articles uh, that we've used for the show. So thank you for all the content you have provided us. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity to get the material out there. Absolutely. Joe, you sent us quite the list, 22 different off-the-mat habits. Let's highlight a few of them. Which ones uh, kind of stick out to you? Well, they kind of break down into a couple of different categories, so it's pretty simple. The first few seem to be about documenting and journaling, and uh, different people do that different ways. Uh, for me, it's worked well. I created a Word document that I revisit routinely, and I've got some notes in there, and I uh, kind of keep track of the positions I'm doing well at, the submissions I'm hitting, and things that I need to work on. And uh, that one seems to work well for me. So, I don't know. Do you guys do any uh, journaling or documenting? I have. Uh, I do a little bit, not a lot. Uh, most of my documenting, it seems like now, is is tracking injuries uh, to watch for patterns and in, in kind of a personal history about what's going on. Um, it's definitely a good idea to document uh, what's working for you, and uh, that'll help you see things that you might want to change or what to work on next if you're able to actually track that. Because you might think, yeah, I've got a pretty good arm bar, but you might look at your calendar, your uh, your journal there, and realize you haven't tapped out uh, anybody with an arm bar other than a few white belts and you know your purple belt or something like that. Uh, maybe your arm bar is not as good as you think it is. And uh, it, it, by tracking it, it's hard to change things that you don't measure and, and track. It, that sort of thing really helps uh, take it, I guess, a little more serious nature and, and really helps the, the athlete um, figure out where to go next. Yeah, that's exactly what I found to be true. I found that uh, when I first started this work document, I listed all the submissions and techniques I thought I was good at from each position. And then, man, the next week or two looking at it, I'm like, I'm not hitting half of these. I need to reevaluate and either uh, tune some of these up a little bit or uh, put something else in its place. Yeah, and I like how um, on number three there, you also listed your three go-to moves, techniques from every position, uh, your three best positions to work from. And and that's one thing I've started doing is I was never really big in journaling until the last couple of years. And I'm trying to always look at, you know, I'm kind of a little different. I, I don't work on my weak points as much as I work on my strong points. I like to get my strong points where they're really, really, really good and uh, where I can get them when I need or whenever I want to so I'm always you know doing that I'm looking I'm kind of thinking you know what little things do I need to tweak to get better at it and that was one of the things that has really helped my game in the last year is starting journaling on my strong points and, and trying to make that even better yeah that's awesome 
uh, going through the list similar, the next couple that I put on here were uh, just general health and uh, dietary notes. And, you know, for me, I found that cooking my own food is probably the number one thing that keeps me eating healthy, eating clean, absolute portion control. And, uh, you know, I've had young guys ask me, I had a guy ask me about a year ago, moving out of his mom and dad's house, what one piece of advice I had had for him was. I said, learn to cook about three or four healthy meals. Maybe a pot roast and vegetables, a good meatloaf, and, and, and that'll go a long ways towards keeping you healthy and saving you some money. Yeah, and then especially, like you said, save money, keep you healthy. You you get a lot le- less nagging injuries, especially, like you said, as you get a little bit older in the sport. Eating clean is very important. Um, you know, let your muscles repair. When you're done, you're going to have more stamina on the mat. You're going to feel stronger. Um, and then you have another good one in there. I know you said they were kind of in different categories, but hydrate. You know, hydrate is huge, too. And, you know, I see a lot of people not drinking enough drinking enough water between rounds or or we even got a guy that i train with that we always joke about he doesn't believe in water breaks and you know he's like ah water breaks are for wimps you should just keep going you know you there's no reason to stop and and i'm always looking at him like you're crazy you know water is one of the most important thing probably the most important thing you can do and i always tell everybody you know hydrate 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 take water breaks Uh, you need them yeah absolutely even on your days off your body just functions better when you're drinking enough water. Definitely, definitely. And Byron, why don't you tell your little story? I've heard you say it, you know, times before about how what you do if you know you're training at night. Let's say you're you wake up in the morning. Gary, I, I really have no idea where you're going with that. Oh, okay. I, you you always tell me that on days that you know you're going to train, especially days you know you're going to train, you make sure you drink a lot more water. Yeah, you're always uh, really cognizant of how much water you're taking in. <laughs> that, that's true, Gary. It's You can't show up to class, I guess unless it's an early morning class, and try to hydrate. You know, if, if class is in the evening, you have all day to hydrate your body. Drinking a whole bunch of water as you're walking the door really isn't uh, the best way to do that. You need to be a person who is hydrated, uh, generally speaking. I, and Joe, you mentioned the, the cooking your own meals. That's great advice. Uh, I don't know how many jiu-jitsu practitioners are proficient in the kitchen, but it doesn't take a ton of knowledge and, and investment with your time to learn how to cook a, cook three or four basic meals that are good and healthy. And that, uh, and you mentioned it'll save you money. It saves you tons of money to eat healthier. You just have to be spend a little bit of time uh, to prepare that meal. And generally speaking, you enjoy it more if it's a home cooked meal than you than if you're going to grab something on the way home or any of that sort of thing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, Gary and Byron, when I was making this list, I did a, a little poll on the Facebook with my friends, asked them uh, what they did off the mat to improve their on-the-mat performance. And the number one answer I got was yoga. I don't know if you guys do yoga. I personally don't do it, but uh, many of my friends are big fans of it. They do uh, advocate for hot yoga. The closest I come is I just incorporate some yoga stretching into my uh daily stretching routine, but definitely if somebody's looking for something to do off the mats, i got a lot of friends that advocate for doing yoga. Yeah, I don't think you can really go wrong with yoga for jiu-jitsu. Um, 
first of all, we do need to be flexible. We do need to uh, prepare our bodies to get put into some different positions that you know may not be healthy if we're not flexible. And and on top of that, it builds a lot of strength holding yourself in those positions, which as we need strength in jujitsu. And you learn how to breathe, um, you know, which is very important, especially when you're stuck stuck under side mount against somebody you know really really tough. So I, I agree with you. I've only done yoga a handful of times. I did sign up for a yoga class here, and I think it's like two weeks and over at the local Y, and I'm hoping that it'll, you know, I try it once, and it'll get me a little more comfortable, so I'll go there, you know, a couple times a week. That's that's my goal when I signed up for this class. So uh, I'm hoping, uh, hoping to catch on to uh, doing yoga like probably I should uh, to definitely help me, uh, help me on and off the mat. Yeah, the, the the two big physical attributes that, that we see in jiu-jitsu are going to be strength and flexibility. It seems like keep popping up again and again. Uh, typically, you see somebody, oh, he's too, he's too so strong, he's using, he's using too much power and muscle. Uh, but occasionally, you hear somebody say the same thing about flexibility. Oh, that guy is super flexible. It's the same type of thing. It's a physical attribute. It's something you could change about yourself that could improve your jiu-jitsu. And uh, sure, it's like both strength and flexibility don't make your techniques better, but but you might increase the percentage of finishing a certain submission or sweep a little bit if you have a little more strength or have a little bit more uh, flexibility. You might be able to pull off a few things that uh, you really couldn't before. Um, instead of getting like like five out of ten triangle chokes, maybe I'll get six out of ten, and that sort of a uh, kind of a little adjustment. So I could definitely see becoming more flexible and trying to bring yoga into your to your life to where it actually just makes you physically more healthy. You're more aware of, of your body and, and any sort of kind of injuries you're dealing with and trying to tune up those. Um, I, I myself don't do yoga. Gary's going to start, it sounds like, and Joe, uh, it's something that you don't do, but your friends all do. So, uh, Joe, if you wanted to start yoga, it'd be easy for you because you know people who do it already. Yep. I'll have to look into that. I'm looking at number 15 here. You can't go wrong with that. Listen to a podcast on your way to and from work. I'm, yeah. I, I routinely listen to this podcast, a couple other jiu-jitsu podcasts, some uh, sports motivational podcasts, and I don't know how much they really help your jiu-jitsu, but it's about the easiest thing on the list I've got here. You can subscribe, download it, and then just hit play when you get in your car. You know, I think it's always keeping you in the game. You're always thinking about jiu-jitsu or, like you said, motivation, if you're listening to a motivational one, which, you know, is, is definitely going to help your jiu-jitsu just by listening to it. You're, you're going to pick up some good hints. And even if you don't pick up good hints, that means you're listening to me since I never give any good hints. But at least you're thinking about jiu-jitsu. You're probably getting you know, excited to train and, and it's kind of always on your mind. So, uh, I, I do agree with you, you know, listen to a podcast or, or some kind of, you know, sports motivational and, and it's definitely better than, you know, watching TV, watching the Flintstones or something. It's, it's relaxing, it's fun. And I guess you could say it's healthy. It's, uh, you know, not promoting any bad habits. So, uh, I do agree with you there also, Joe. Yeah. And like you said, one of the easiest things that uh, most people listen to podcasts via their phone when they 
uh, are busy doing something else. So the idea that you need to sit in front of your computer and listen to a podcast and just let time tick by as you listen to an hour and a half long podcast about jujitsu, that's kind of not what most people do. Most people just hit play and they go mow their yard or they hit, you know, play the podcast and they do their house chores or they drive to work or whatever they're doing. If, uh, if your ears are free, you could hit, listen to a podcast and there are dozens of jujitsu podcasts, thousands of other podcasts. If you have another hobby, uh, that you enjoy, I guarantee you there's a podcast that will cover it, uh, much like this one covers jujitsu. Yep. Hey, Joe, let me ask you a, a quick question, too. When you put this um, article together and you came up with 22 off the mat habits, and I know you talk about it a little bit in the start here, but you know, tell us how you decided to, to find 22 different, uh, 22 different habits. Sure. You can make a list like this as sure as five or 10, or you could do 50 and I picked 22 because, uh, and a nod to Mission 22. As you know, they're an organization that brings awareness to struggles that our U.S. veterans have. There's an average of 22 suicides by U.S. military veterans every day. And my wife's parents both served in the Army. My father did. And my son actually just got his honorable discharge from the Army starting school. So we've got lots of family that have been in the military, and we understand the sacrifices that they make and, and some of the struggles that they have afterwards. So I just like to uh, bring some awareness to the issue. Yeah, that's awesome. When I was reading that, and and then I was like, oh, I, I didn't put two and two together, you know, right off the bat, and I read that, and I was like, you know, this makes it even better. So, uh, you know, shout out to you for, for that there, Joe. Thanks, guys. You know, I put in here to create a morning routine. And I've been reading some, I read uh, uh, Daniel Coyle's book. Actually, I'm in the middle of his book, The Talent Code. It's a really good book. I read a couple other recently along the same lines. And most high-functioning people that I'm aware of all have a very disciplined routine in the morning. And that's something that I've tried to incorporate into my life. Uh, get up and read something, get some exercise first thing in the morning. Yeah, I know it's not always specifically jiu-jitsu related, but like we said, if, if you're healthy, if your energy level is higher, everything in life is going to be a little better for you, including your jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Yeah, that that is definitely true. Um you know, about the habits there, but I like what you say, which is a, a big one to really make sure you can stay in jiu-jitsu. You have to to, for you to show up and, and dedicate your time to the jiu-jitsu, especially if you're married, you have to have a happy wife. And like I said, like what you said in there, you know, I do five to ten minutes of housework. And that last one really makes the wife happy. And it it's a give and take. You you definitely have to help out, you know, your significant other, your, your family at home. So you can have time to train. It's going to make it that much easier. And like you said, if you're if you're happy in life, if you're productive, you're, you're going to be so much more successful on the mat and in your life. Yeah, my wife comes down in the morning and says, oh, it looks like the uh, dishes fairy showed up last night. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I clean kitchen first thing in the morning. <laughs> That's awesome. I do like yeah. a, a good, strong morning routine. I feel like everybody has a morning routine. But sometimes they're not helpful. Like it might be a morning routine for you to hit the snooze button five times before you get out of bed, and then you you know stumble into your car and drive off to work. Uh, it might just be taking a shower and and eating a breakfast. I mean, we basically have a morning routine, even if we don't recognize that fact. 
just the things you have to do to get your day started. And, and by taking a look at it and making some tweaks to it, even slowly, you know, let's say you're going to do three minutes of housework or, you know, you're going to read a book for five minutes instead of 10 or something like that. Just making these subtle changes and then you could amp them up a little bit over time really makes your morning time a very productive part of your day. And if you feel like you've had a good start in the morning, uh, really, to me, the, the rest of the day seems like it runs pretty smoothly. So I'm I'm all for having a good, strong morning routine. One that I've changed about myself is I would always get up. I would wake up pretty hungry, and I don't know if that's because I would do jiu-jitsu in the evenings, and I would go to bed and continue to burn calories, or I don't know what. But a lot of times, I would wake up before my alarm would go off just hungry. I would uh, go and get a large bowl of cereal, and I'm not talking about healthy cereal. I'm talking about like kid cereal, like Lucky Charms and that sort of thing, and just devour a large bowl of cereal just to kind of stop my body from being so hungry. And then I would continue on with my uh, morning. Uh, instead of that, I I changed that to um, eating a protein bar. And I did that for a few months, and it, oh, that wasn't really that bad. And then I changed the protein bar to a handful of mixed nuts, which I think is a better uh, thing for myself. And it's not hard to get up and, and to do that. It doesn't take any willpower or any, you know, hey, got to you know, eat these instead of this. It's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up. I'm going to eat a handful of mixed nuts. It's going to stop me from being hungry. And it's going to be, uh, you know, heart healthy and, and good for me as well. And, and just by swapping out those two routines, the, basically the kid cereal for uh, uh, healthy mixed nuts. And what, what I'm also doing with those is I'm mixing the salted nuts with the unsalted and raw uh, nuts. So I, I'm getting even healthier in that aspect uh, as time goes. And maybe I could someday just do uh, raw uh, mixed nuts. Uh, that, that seems a bit uh, unappetizing. But having a few in there that are salty helps me out as well. But it's just making these little changes over time have had, a, I think, a pretty good effect on my personal health, my diet, and just just start me off the right way. You know, I feel like I started off healthy this morning at breakfast. Why do I want to mess it up with an unhealthy lunch? Yeah, that's a good point there. You, you started off healthy. Why mess it up? I, I might have to... Uh steal that mindset because uh, I do mess it up a lot of times at uh, lunchtime. <laughs> Another little tip if you want to try the mixed nuts thing is I would add some M&Ms to them for a little while until I, I got to where I didn't really need those in there. But, I mean, just something to make it a little easier at first. But, uh, yeah, I'm big on the morning routine. If you could uh, get a good quality morning routine going, it'll, it'll help you out a ton. Yeah, and that incremental steps, that's really key because the best morning routine is one that you can stick with. If you set the bar too high and you can't stick with it, you're just going to get discouraged and you're going to give up on it in a short time. That is so true. Definitely. Uh, let's hit number 22. Mentor another student. And I really think that this has uh, the, the potential to help you get better at your jiu-jitsu. For, for me, it holds me accountable. There's been a number of times where I've thought I hit enough classes in the week and I'm thinking about not going and somebody will message me and say, hey, you going to be in class tonight? I was hoping you could show me a little more of that stuff we were working on last night. Like, well, I guess I'm going to jiu-jitsu tonight. <laughs> you know, so it helps to hold me accountable. And as you said, if you're teaching other people, that makes you think about the techniques a little deeper, makes you think about the details a little bit more. But I also think that jiu-jitsu is about more than the techniques. And it, it's a way to build relationships, maybe keep that white belt from quitting when he's 10 months in or keep that new blue belt from quitting two months after 
he gets his blue belt. So I really think that mentoring another student is about the biggest win-win item on this list. You know, Joe, that that's an incredible one right there. Um, you are such a great jujitsu ambassador. That's kind of the the reason why Byron and I started this podcast. And it's like you said, mentoring another student just means so much that there you're gonna have you're gonna make that it easier transition for that guy to train. It's he's gonna have a friend. He's gonna have somebody, you know, spreading his wings and helping him out. You know, he's gonna have a smile on his face because he's got you know so-called big brother helping him out. And that's the one thing we all want to do as jujitsu ambassadors is grow the sport. And what a better way to grow the sport than mentoring another student. And uh, I guarantee you, any student who is lucky enough to be mentored by you, Joe, is, you know, they're just one lucky person. And, and you know, you're a lucky person, too, to be able to mentor these people. So, uh, you know, you know, hats off to you for doing that. Man, I, I feel fortunate. I've, I've been surrounded by good people my entire jiu-jitsu journey, and there's guys that, you know, have taken care of me along the way. And like yep. you said, when I get the opportunity to pay that forward, it's, I'm more than happy to do so. Yeah, and the, the mentoring idea is is one I think could be overlooked because you show up to class, you see the instructor and you think that they are who everyone's learning from. And you know, whether you are a blue belt, a white belt with a couple of stripes or whatever, there's probably somebody you could help out. You know, if, if you're the white belt with two stripes or you're one, or maybe you've been there for a whole month and there's a new student still, you know, a little bit more than them. You definitely know, you know, the routine of the class and how it's going to go. And you could take somebody in under your wing. And the, just the, just the idea that a student could mentor another student. We're not all mentor ease of the, the coach or the professor or the person who's running the gym or running that class. There's a lot of teaching going on in Jiu-Jitsu and a lot of it is from student to student. And to make like a conscious okay. effort to, to take somebody in under your wing is, is a, is the thing that, you know, I, I, I will be happy to show anybody, you know, anything I can. I think it helps them out. I'll see something. Oh, this is going to be great for Bill. Bill, you know, he's got a great guard. He, he should add this to his game. But, like, I like the idea of, you know, I'm going to focus on this person. And I'm going to I'm gonna try to help them out every time I see them, maybe for the next month or two or long term. And really uh, give them more attention than I would just randomly uh, showing them a little tip here and there and really kind of check in on their progress and and hopefully they're doing that to somebody below them as well. So I think that that a gym that has these type of relationships can grow exponentially faster than uh, just a gym where everyone's learning from the instructor all the time and nobody else. I couldn't agree more. And it doesn't take a lot of effort to give somebody's contact information and just shoot them a text if you haven't seen them this week. And haven't seen you in class this week, hoping you'll be in on Monday or Tuesday. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Yeah, that's just the key. Just, you know, staying in touch. What can I do for you if there's anything? And and things like that will keep people coming to jiu-jitsu. We're always going to have peaks and valleys in jiu-jitsu. We're going to have times where we feel like nothing's clicking and, and hey, you know, your, your mind, you start doubting yourself in your mind, like maybe this isn't for me. But once you get that email or that text from your mentor, all of a sudden you just perk up, you start smiling on the inside and you're like, man, somebody really does care about me so um you know that in my opinion number 22 out of all these ones i read when i was going down it right off the bat i was like that's the one i really like and and like byron says a lot of times it's overlooked uh, 
but uh, you know, 22 just jumped right out to me right off the bat. Absolutely. Well, Joe, thank you very much for helping on here with us. You've got uh, half a dozen or so articles that you've submitted to us and we put on our website, and uh, this one is on there as well. And uh, we look forward to uh, – I've had a good time. This was fun. Maybe next article we'll get you back on here and, and have you uh, highlight uh, some of the key points. Instead of me and Gary fumbling around through it, uh, get get the uh, true intent of the author a little bit better on the, on the show next time as well. It's been a blast. I look forward to that, Byron. Hey, Joe, also, um, since we just had you on, why don't uh, you just give a quick shout-out to your, your gym and your training partners to, you know, let them know, uh, you know, hey, thank you, and, you know, you're you're a, you're a mentor to people. Awesome. Yeah, I split my time between two gyms. One of them's in South Louisiana. It's called LaRose Martial Arts, and uh, the head coach there is Buddy Kiff. He's a brown belt, and he's got a really strong group of really strong athletes there. My home gym is in Lake Jackson, Texas. It's a Brazilian top team affiliate, uh, BTT Angleton, otherwise known as the School of Jiu-Jitsu. And my head coach there is uh, Black Belt Fernando Hallfield. And I got to say, he's one of the uh, most thoughtful instructors I've ever known as far as the amount of work he puts into making sure students are getting the best instruction every day. That is awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Fernanda. You guys are doing a great job. Yep. That, that's awesome. And and like Byron said, thank you so much for, first of all, all the content you give us. And, you know, it's a lot of great stuff. Um, you know, we really appreciate it. And then second of all, taking time out of your, your day to uh, come on to our show, it really means a lot to us and to our listeners. They're, they've just uh, heard from a great person who's going to, they're definitely going to learn from you. Awesome. It's been great, guys. Keep up the good work with the podcast. All right, with the article wrapped up, you could find the link in the show notes. It's on our website, bjbrick.com. And uh, it's time, my friend Gary, to get to our interview of the week. Let's get it on with Bernardo Faria. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. He has never gotten a paper cut. He blocks it on a microscopic level. Rather than telling an opponent how poor their BJJ skills are, he simply buys them a BJJ audiobook to help them out. He once put a chokehold on a honey badger and got a pint of honey. It was a sweet move. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring back to the Beaches of Break podcast, Bernardo Faria. Bernardo, welcome back to the show. Hello, Miro. Thanks so much for inviting me again. It's a pleasure to be here. I just uh, remembering it's been uh, a little while since you've been on the podcast here. And last time I asked you if you had a favorite quote, and you said uh, your quote was something like, um, shoot, for the, uh, shoot for the moon, and if you even if you miss, you'll be among the stars. And that was – you kind of uh, – you know, had a lofty goal. He said, I'm going to try to become a uh, world champion at the absolute division. It's a very difficult goal, but, you know, at least I'm going to try for it, you know. And if I miss, you know, that's okay. I, I tried hard and I'm, I'm competing with, uh, you know, the absolute best. And uh, later that year, you actually accomplished that goal. And uh, so just a big congratulations for, for that. And uh, do you have any um, 
thoughts about that? Uh, setting such a big goal and then reaching it like that. Yeah, thanks so much, Drew. Yeah, man, that that uh, that was that was always like my biggest goal because uh, uh, I remember I always tried to win the words open class and uh, I had never won until 2015. But uh, because I had that big goal, I won my division three times before before 2015. I got second in the open class in 2011, and uh, so. I believe that when you when you have like a very 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 big goal in your life, maybe maybe you're not gonna reach exactly that thing, but you're gonna get very close, you know. So so that's why I love that quote: "Shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you become you're gonna stay at least in the stars." But uh, thanks God, I actually <laughs> I actually reached it. <laughs> I, I got it. I won the double gold in the words and in the Pan Ams in 2015. And uh, it was a great feeling. And uh, then this year I tried to win again, but it was not my year. I got third place in the Open class. But uh, at least in the Pan Ams, I won the Open again. And uh, I think I'm the first person to win the Open class as a black belt three times in the Jiu-Jitsu history. So it's cool. Wow, it's not break the records of the words. That's the main goal. But I got close. I broke the records of the Pan Ams. <laughs> wow, that's a great thing to do and really uh, cementing your name in the long-term uh, history of jiu-jitsu as somebody who has uh, uh, had a very impressive and, and dominant uh, career uh, competition-wise. What goals uh, on the mat competition-wise do you have for this coming year? Man, honestly, this year, the only tournament that I'm 100% sure I'm going to compete, it's going to be the words because uh, I'm already competing uh, since I'm competing in Jiu-Jitsu since 2002 when I was the yellow belt and uh, now I, I'm going to turn 30 I'm just turning 30 this, this month and uh, I'm competing as a black belt since 2009 and uh, I'm starting I'm going towards the end of my career you know, because nowadays I'm much more motivated to do my online projects that I'm doing like launching many different DVDs, uh, growing my blog, and uh, creating some brands. And uh, all this stuff is where my big motivation is nowadays. And I also opened my school in June. But uh, in the same time, I don't want to regret later that I could compete more. So I'm still training very hard. And uh, I'm going to do the words because it's the one that really like motivates me. And maybe some super fight if they pay well, but uh, th- that that's how I'm thinking more nowadays. You know, I, I think my biggest goal right now is to try to share everything I learned, share all this experience, and towards uh, using my instructional videos and this and that. But in the same time, I don't want to regret in the future that I could have competed more. So that's why I'm trying to keep training very, very hard and compete at least the words or maybe the ADCC or some super fight just to make sure I don't miss any any period of my career. Yeah, it would be great to see. It will be great to see you at the Worlds. And uh, ADCC would be an amazing experience as a fan to watch you compete there. Um, at super fight, are you thinking uh, there's a lot of submission only uh, super fights and there's still plenty of uh, point-based super fights. Do you have anything in mind as far as uh, rule set go and, and that sort of thing? 
Man, honestly, I'm not even thinking too much about the rules. I'm thinking like uh, I'm only gonna do a super fight if they can afford what I think we we should receive. We should get paid, you know, because the end of the day, I competed for free all my career, and uh, and I, I competed because I love jiu-jitsu. But at this point of my career, I, I want to make sure, like, uh, if I do some super fight, we. I want to make the athletes as much like value as, po as possible, you know. So if it if we if it's if I have to compete for free, I'm gonna do the words. Because then if I win, I'm the world champion. So this is much more than money for me. But uh, if it's a super fight, I, I I'm not even worried about the rules. I'm just worried about making sure that the events pay pay us what we deserve. Yeah, uh, to compete in a super fight like that. It's more than just uh, showing up and competing. Uh, you're going to change your schedule. You're going to train uh, for that event. You might be teaching less seminars. You'll have uh, you know less time to make uh, income, uh, other income that you have. So really, it is important for athletes to be paid well yeah. when they compete and at that level. This level, it's a lot of sacrifice as well. You, know, you got to stop doing. You mentioned that you're turning thirty. Uh, so at the Worlds, you're going to be competing in the adult division. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I'm going to do the adult division. Uh, for sure, I'm going to do the adult division. It's the one that I'm motivated to, to do it. Now, m most of the listeners out there are not uh, competing at the world or even you know, uh, past world champions like yourself. But uh, looking back, how has your body and the way you learned jiu-jitsu changed uh, over the past 10 or so years as far as uh, maybe aging, or are you beginning to show signs that you that you don't heal as well, or do you just feel like you're you did when you were 22? Man, it's 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 not easy. I mean, like uh, I I see like three different phases in in jiu-jitsu. At least I'm 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 turning 30, so I'm not like 40s yet, so I cannot talk about the 40s. <laughs> but when I was like 16, 17, 18, 19, I used to train a lot and then next day I would wake up not even like feeling my body painful then when I was like 25 26 I start feeling my body and man nowadays honestly like my body is falling apart you know so <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be really careful like with my 12 months of training you know so I'm really trying to share like oh from this month to this month I'm gonna train very hard from this month to this month I'm gonna train easy to make sure my body can handle all of this you know and uh, because uh, when you start turning like 29 30 i believe that now it's only gonna get worse so 31 32 33 uh, i really feel my body and I, I believe that it's a lot about the mileage as well not not only about the age so i have been competing since 2002 and i have been sacrificing my body since 2002 i have been doing diet since 2002 i have been doing physical conditioning and everything since i was 15 years old so i think my body is feeling a lot so that's why nowadays when i like a film or instruction dvd or when i do some work on my blog uh, it's a different thing for me you know i'm not hitting my body uh, I, I, I'm doing jiu-jitsu another way, you know. So I'm really having fun doing this stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, you're still involved with jiu-jitsu, but it's not quite so hard on your body to to, to exactly. have a block. <laughs> That's exactly. You know, so this is uh, I'm very motivated about this stuff, you know, and I can still sharing everything I passed through jiu-jitsu 
but online. Yeah, uh, you've comp- you've competed since your since 2002. Uh, for quite a long while, you've competed at a very elite level. Um, you've competed with uh, a long list of of amazing names and and legends in the sport. Um, but if you if you were to get a super fight, uh, do you have anybody in mind that you maybe haven't even uh, competed against yet that you would think would be a fun super fight? Ah uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, I don't like this challenging okay. stuff. <laughs> but uh, whoever they invite, they they invite. I, I would. I think I would do it as long as they are uh, giving a good prize, you know. But uh, yeah, I don't have like one name, you know. Yeah, but uh, okay. but definitely like the the big names of this sport, you know. Yeah, it, and that's what we. That's what the fans would like to see, you know. See, see two big names. Uh, yeah. collide in a super fight that's that's always uh good entertainment and and uh it's fun fun for the yeah. practitioners to watch as well you kind of mentioned training not so hard all the time i think you're somebody who's known for for training uh like very very hard and as you get older uh, it looks like you're changing a little bit um you play a lot of uh half guard deep half are, are the, is that style of game uh is that adapting well to you as you're not training so hard, or is that uh, a more rough uh, style of uh, jiu-jitsu? No, honestly, I, I really believe that uh, my style of jiu-jitsu, it's a style that works really well, especially for who is getting older. <laughs> because uh, I, I really believe that for who is like over 30, over 35, over 40, this style that I play is perfect because it's, I mean, like, the, the passing game that I use, this type of pressure passing with over-under, this and that, you don't need to move too much, you know. It's a very simple game. All you got to do is hold one of the guy legs, and then you go, like, little by little on your piece, you know. It's not that type of passing, like Torian or Nika, that you got to jump here, jump there, go to one side, go to the other. And the over-under, for example, I think if the guy is over 40, for example, that, that were, that's even better, you know, because... You got you, you get when you get older, we get stronger and we lose the cardio. And this passing is great for for this type of game. You know, you don't need too much cardio. You just need to grab the guy's legs, stay there, and then little by little you start passing. And it's kind of like same thing with Hafger. You know, I, I think for example, for one person who is like 45 years old, playing Spider Guard might be very hard. You know, you are not that flexible anymore. This and that, and. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about the beating bolos and warm guards because it's <laughs> even harder. Yeah. The tornadoes and this and that. So half guard, I think, is pretty simple too. Like uh, you just lock one of the guy's leg and then you go from there, you know. And then you, little by little, you go underneath him or you, you could try to come up. So I, I really believe that this game helps me a lot. You know? And uh, I'm really feeling that because uh, even when I'm not training that hard, I feel I can still go in hard without hitting my body too much. But of course, that if I try to do like one hour and a half sparring straight with the toughest guys on the mat, then there is no game that's going to save your body. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hit your body very strong. But uh, So I really believe that this type of game is really good for who is getting older. So I'm really trying to take advantage of my game now that I'm going to my toes. Yeah, and that might be an important thing for someone to consider if they're really feeling like uh, they're getting, I don't know if you feel like you're getting too old for your game, but maybe maybe you're doing your uh, Spider Guard or, or uh, Baron Bolo, or 
and you keep seem like you get injured more often than you used to. So maybe it's time to take a look at your own jujitsu and say, well, maybe I should try to do something a little differently. Well, and, I agree. Uh, that even I mean, like it's even good to know that the way Hafner was invented was by Roberto Correa. The, his nickname is Gordo. He was from Gracie Bar, and he's one of the most respected coaches in the jiu-jitsu world. And it was exactly on this way. I think he used it to pay open guard or a spider, something like that. And he hurt his knee, and for a very long time, he couldn't play open guard anymore. So he developed the half-guard. And at that time, half-guard didn't exist. So it started from, his, from him, from his injury on his knee. Because the only game he could play if his knee messed up was the half-guard. So it really makes sense that's a good game for like avoiding injuries and uh, for who's getting old, for the older grapplers. Yeah, it, and it's just it, and that also goes to speak. I think we all have experienced that as you, if you've trained for even a couple of years, that you get a little injured, a little banged up, and you have to change what you do a little bit. And in his instance, he actually came up with an entire new guard and, and uh, it sprung out several things from there, but. Uh, so you have to make change sometimes. Sometimes you don't want to, but in the long run, they'll be uh, they might be beneficial for you. No, I agree one hundred percent. So we've talked a little bit about uh, your game that you play, but I really want to talk about uh, game plan because you have uh, a, a really great game plan as far as uh, for competition. You're able to get uh, to your half guard or deep half. You sweep in a particular way to where. Uh, you come on top and you're already ready to pass. It's it's really a, a great uh, a series of, of techniques that you've kind of linked together. And no matter what bad spot you're in, I've uh, watched some of your DVDs where you could get to that deep half from basically anywhere uh, with uh, you know one or two moves and you're there. And so you the person your opponent is already pulled into your game and, and it's it's a lot of trouble. How did you develop that? Was it just time on the mat or did you sit down and try to think about? Uh, chaining together certain techniques? I think, honestly, I, I came up with this type of game. Like, I remember when I started Jiu-Jitsu, I, I, I love it. I was like, man, I love this, and I want to become very good on this and this and that. But I, I, I was not good, you know. I remember, like, in my first month, for example, there was a bunch of moves that I just couldn't do, you know. I, 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 I don't know if I didn't have the talent or I didn't have the right coordination to do it. But I couldn't do it. So when I every time I was finding some move that I could do and that was working for me in the row, I was sticking with that, you know. So I so I, I was instead of trying to learn and try to do like one thousand techniques, I was picking the five or ten that I was using and was working, and I was just doing that every single row against everybody every day in the tournament, in the training, in the Drill every time, every only that you know. So I think I spent so much time on those techniques that I think are they are pretty simple. They are not like that fancy and sophisticated like the new techniques that are coming up nowadays. And uh, this was my difference, you know. I, I focus a lot on where I was good at, and then I start developing different ways to arrive there because sometimes I think. If you have a great technique, but you don't know how to get on that technique, doesn't mean anything, you know. So you got to have a good technique and you got to have different ways to get there. 
So this is what I did with my half guard and with my pressure passing game. I can get the over-under pass, for example, from every position. I don't mean I'm always going to get, but I always have an option. You know, If the guy is doing De La Riva, if the guy is doing warm guard, if the guy is doing butterfly, spider, close guard, anything he does, I'm going to have one way to get the over-under from there. Same thing with the half guard. Any type of game my opponent tried to use to pass my guard, I have a way to get to the deep half or to the single leg half. So I, I only picked some easy techniques that was were working for me, and I focus on that. And it's funny because nowadays, after I launch all these instructions, I receive a bunch of messages from people. Like, And most of the times, they're older grapplers. That's funny. Like, oh, Bernard, I just won the words Master 3. I did your wow. sweep on every match, and I used your passing. Oh, Bernard, I won the words No Give, Master 2. I did the over-under in four or five matches, and this and that. So I, I think it, I found out this, but this is not only for me, you know. it's It can work for anyone, you know, especially for the non-talent guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you have a lot of talent, you're gonna end up playing a lot of different games and this and that. But if you feel that you are that, you don't learn it too easy. You it, it, it's gonna fit very well because you're gonna see all those five moves and you're gonna work on that and you're gonna get good on that and you're gonna beat your training partners and opponents doing only that. So, from what I'm getting from you here, if jujitsu is kind of hard to pick up for you, if you're struggling with it, if you've been uh, training for, let's say, a year, and the person who started the same time as you did is, uh, they're doing a little better than you are. You know, maybe you're having a hard time. It's sm- smarter to try to learn less, but learn the the stuff that you're learning at a, uh, a little deeper, a little bit more uh, knowledge in those fewer categories. Is that right? Yeah, that's how I think, you know, and uh, I see, like, the most useful athletes in jiu-jitsu. You can think about that. Most of them, they have one game, like, you see, for example, like uh, Roger Gracie, he had that game, you know, everyone knew what he would do. He would like sweep, maybe sweep from the close guard or get one take, though. He would get on top. He would pass the guard using pressure. He would go to side control to the mounts and choke it from the mount. You see like Marcel, you know that he's going to play the butterfly. He's going to use a butterfly sweep or he's going to use some X guard sweep. And then he has his guillotine and he has this and that. Then you see like uh, Rafael Mendes. You know that's going to be something related with the La Riva leg drag. And this and that. it's very rare that you find one guy, for example, like uh, I use Bouchesha as an example. Man, he plays everything, you know. I, I see he's doing everything. I see he's doing like a hip throws, double leg, uh, passing from Toriano, passing from pressure, passing, passing, cutting the knee. Passing, like, doing sweeps like a tornado, warm guard, warm guard, I don't know, but half guard, spider, close guard. That's not very common, you know. <laughs> but I think that's why he, he's the one who broke all the records. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, like, uh, it's not very common that you see one guy very, very talented as he is, you know. So I think I'm not. So I would rather, instead of trying to learn everything, learning some few moves and focus on that and try to be the best I can on those moves. Yeah. And for, and the way it's worked from my observation for you is those moves work on everybody. And, and that's the thing that people don't, uh, I think sometimes like at a lower level, they forget you have, 
you know, three or four or five matches, and you're going to have to beat three or four or five different games. Somebody might be a really good spider guard player, and you have to pass that card or you're not going to win. And somebody might, you know, pull half guard, and you have to be able to get past that, or you might end up playing the bottom. And you're going to be put in a lot of different situations where uh, your game has worked so great against so many different places. Uh, it's it's nice as a tournament, no matter what they bring, uh, you have an answer for that, it seems like. Yeah, I try. During the words, I was surprised by one opening and it ended up catching me. But it's part of the game. It only happens if who is there. But I think it comes back to exactly what we were talking before. Like, uh, uh, I fight against many different games, but I never try to fight against the game. I try to use my game, you know, so... At the end of the day, I try to bring them to my word instead of going to their word, you know. So, and I believe that in my word, I have much higher chance to win than when I'm their word. So, I always try to bring them to my game instead of answer to his game. It's fun to watch you compete because we know what you're trying to do, and 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 so it's uh it's it's just uh it's it's more enjoyable, I think, as a fan because. Uh, if we're watching you do it and, and be successful, it's like, yes, I know what he wants to do next. And, and it's amazing that it's so hard to stop. And, uh, it, I don't know. It just makes it, uh, a little more simple sometimes, I think, maybe to watch and, and really watch you execute this, this really, uh, fun game plan. Uh, you mentioned that you're doing oh, that, some, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That, that was a very cool view, view of your, I had never thought about that. Like, uh, as a fan, it's more funny to, watch my game because you guys know what's going on in other game. I had never thought about like this side. It's a very cool side. Yeah. Uh, I like it. Yeah, it, well, if you if you never, you know, got to really to do your over-under pass or you couldn't get to half guard and, and some, we would know that you're you're having trouble with that match, you know, because that's not where you want to do. But if you're there, okay, you know, he's safe. He's, he's going to work this thing and, and it, it's really fun to, to watch you uh, go through the progression of your game on a, on a live opponent. I like it. Thank you. That was very <laughs> Anybody who's wanting to do a, uh, you know, a super fight with you, keep that in mind that he's fun to watch as well. Um, now you're starting, uh, you've got several DVDs out. Do you have anything coming out, uh, you know, uh, pretty recently here? Uh, I, I'm launching one. I think depending when, when this podcast is going to be published, might be already, already launched. Okay. It's going to be a new halfware DVD. And uh, I put there, I, I had done two halfway DVDs, one about the deep halfway, one about Ziggard. On this one, I put both of them together. I also included all the updates because I filmed those two halfway DVDs in 2013. And from 2013 to 2016, I came up with new details, new techniques. So I put all the updates. And for the first time, I made something very different that I think is very, very cool. So many times when we watch DVDs, we learn the techniques, but we never learn like the timing that we should use each technique. And I believe that timing is many times the most important part for you to execute one technique correct. So what I did was I filmed myself rolling for one 50 minutes or one hour, something like that. And every row I pulled halfway and I tried to sweep using halfway. And then I took the video and I commented during the video. So on every row, there was myself commenting like, okay, you guys, here I'm trying to sweep using this and this. I'm trying to catch the guy's lapel over there, but he's defending the lapel. So I'm trying to now control his leg. I don't want him going here. I don't want him going there. And that's the time I'm going to sweep. 
So I believe it's going to be, it, it can even change the all instructional videos after this one because I think it's a very cool way to learn, you know. I, I, for example, I would love to watch like a Roger Gracie saying what he's trying to do, you know. I mean, like, oh, here I place my first hand in the collar and the guy's trying to defend, but uh, I'm going to get the choke because uh, my other hand is going to come out on this way, this and that. So I think it was a very cool idea that that uh, people, I think people will love this DVD because for, for who likes my halfware, you guys will see exactly the timing that I'm using each sweep and when and why and the... When should I go for it? When should I not go for it? And that, things like that. Well, that, that, uh, I, I like your, uh, you, you notice that a big part of jujitsu is timing. And sure, I could throw a DVD in and, and watch it and learn the techniques. And I basically watched, you know, you teach a technique on somebody who was letting you do that technique. And, uh, but while you're rolling and you're actually going to be talking about what you're doing, we really get the feel of the timing and what it looks like against somebody who's struggling against it. And I think that'll be, that will be a great learning tool. Excited for that. It, like you said, it might already be out by the time this airs. It probably is. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for people to go check it out. Uh, that's going to be uh, a, a really good uh, tool for anybody who wants to develop, what was it, say half guard and, and, uh, and kind of a, a combination of your two other, of your two DVDs about half guard. Yeah, yeah. So I, I started this new project about commenting the sparrings. And I was like, well, as I'm starting this, let me start from my best thing, you know. So I picked the halfway as a subject, and then I put together those first two DVDs. And I refilmed everything. I've included all the updates that I'm doing for halfway. And I also included these sparring sessions commenting. And it's going to go, it's going to be launched in the bjjfanatics.com. So everyone can get it at bjjfanatics.com. All right. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see how it's going to come out. But uh, I already watched the videos and it's looking great. So can't wait to launch it. Can't wait to can't wait to see it. Uh, I think it'll be a, a good uh, tool for people to use if they're wanting to work on that uh, part of their game. Uh, now I'm also uh, hooked on your blog. You've got a, a lot of stuff on there. You seem to have. A lot of great people that you make videos with. You have articles you've written. Um, what uh, kind of, I guess, describe to me uh, what you're doing with, with your blog, uh, BernardoFaria.com? Yeah, man. I, as I said, like uh, I, for some period of my career, I was super focused on only training and teaching and uh, do this, do that. And then after some point, I was feeling myself like missing something. You know, even though like. For example, when you work at office, for example, man, you work like eight hours per day, okay? You work like nine to five. If you work with anything, most of the people work like that. Man, jiu-jitsu is not like that, you know? Jiu-jitsu, like, if someone tells you that they train six or eight hours per day, they're lying. That's not true. <laughs> or maybe they're training very light, you know? If you train very, super hard, like, if you do like fifth, one hour of sparring in the morning, one hour in sparring at night, with the toughest guys on the mat, you're only going to have energy to maybe lift to eight, you know. So <laughs> in the end of the day, you end up working like three hours, you know, like four hours maximum. And man, we have 24 hours in the day, you know. So th that thing always hurt me. I was like, man, I have 24 hours in the day. I train for it. What do I do with my other 20? You know, and uh, so I came up with this blog idea that requires a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work <laughs> 
you gotta write a lot, then you gotta publish on the blog in the WordPress, then you gotta publish in the Facebook, you gotta publish here, you gotta publish there, then you gotta make a video for YouTube, then you gotta do this, because everything involved, you know, it's Facebook, it's YouTube channel, it's like a WordPress to make the blog, it's you gotta write this stuff. My English is not perfect, so then I have to do an English class with my teach my English teacher to fix the English. Then I have to do this, I have to do that. So I started putting a lot of time on my blog, you know. And in the beginning, I was like, man, I'm going to start doing that. Let's see how it goes. And then the results started becoming, like, great, you know. A bunch of people commenting, sharing, and uh, my email list is growing crazy. So I started getting super excited about this stuff, you know. And uh, it's everything involved, you know, because as much as I help the the community, I feel more people, like, go for my videos and this and that. So it's everything together. So I got super excited about that. And uh, this is what I'm doing like most of my days nowadays. I'm setting up my blog posts and I'm doing other online projects as well. And uh, I'm still training super hard, you know, but I'm trying to maximize my training. I go to the school, I train as hard as I can. And instead of being like laying down on the mat talking, then I just go somewhere and start working on my computer again <laughs> and uh, i'm just trying to like uh use the 24 hours that i have as better as i can doing doing my training super hard teaching when i have to teach trying to do the best class i can and also working on the computer on those online projects as much as i can Wow. Yeah, you sound like you're very busy. I, I know you're a busy person competing at that level, but you've opened up this whole new project, a very nice website as somebody who also has a website and had to struggle through all the, you know, making a video or, or uh, you know, uh, trying to write an article and, and all this stuff. It, it, it's it's quite a, uh, can be quite a challenging thing. And yours looks great. I'm really impressed uh, with your website. Uh, is there a certain group of people you think that, that go to your website and get the most out of it? whether it be experience level or uh, people that want to compete or people who are just hobbyists? Do you have any idea uh, who yeah, is going there I the most? I try to focus on everybody. So I, I always try to post articles for, for everybody, you know. But uh, I, I think because my game is so focused, I, I think because my game helps too much the older grappler, I can see that my audience is a lot over 30. It's like sometimes even a lot over 35, 40, you know. So, uh, and, uh, that's great, you know, because uh, I, I love those type of guys, you know. Normally, those are the, the, the people who train more, who are more responsible about jiu-jitsu. The, the ones who are, want to learn more because they feel they're like a little older, so they don't want to waste time and they want to learn as much as they can. So, it's, it's, it's great, you know. And, and I see that most of the seminars I go, most of the guys are the older grapplers. So I, I, I feel like blessed to be able to help this, th- those people, you know, that, even though because I'm becoming old too. So it's, it's great. But, but I, I, it's pretty much open to – I mean like everyone goes to my blog and I always try to publish articles for everybody. Just like two weeks ago, if, one month ago or so, I filmed it with Bruno Malfacini and we posted there like a how to sweep the bigger opponent. So it's completely the opposite of – who I am, right? I'm, I'm probably the big one. I'm super heavy. <laughs> but it's here to help the lighter guys as well. And 
trying to help like everybody can, but I can see that the focus it's going towards the older grapplers. Those are the ones who are coming more to my blog that I can see like towards the Google Analytics and this stuff. Yeah, that that's really cool. But yeah, you've been doing your style of jiu-jitsu forever. You know, it seems like 2002 you've been competing and. And uh, when you were younger, this game worked for you very well. So why not uh, continue to do that as you're older? And if you're a young person wanting to, to learn some techniques, these are ones that you could uh, keep using and not have to abandon uh, when your body starts to get uh, a little bit beat up. But I do like how you have uh, a lot. You have a lot of guests. You know, you had uh, Travis Stevens, and he showed some stuff uh, kind of relating to uh, his knowledge in judo. And it's always fun to go and check out your website and see what you have coming up next. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that, that's the idea. I normally I publish like two or three articles per week. I don't want to publish too much as well because I send the when I publish some article, I send to my email list as well. And I know that some people get annoyed about receiving too many emails, so I'm making sure that I'm not being annoying with them. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Um, I I don't think you'd be annoying people with with the stuff I've seen on your website. It's it's all a lot of great things. I I was looking on there and I was reading an article a little while ago about uh, weight cutting, and you had some interesting tips and insights into to what you've done as far as managing your weight and uh and into always being at the right weight when you compete. Can you share us share with us any of your uh, ideas about that? Yeah, and this is something that I'm very proud to say. And I hope I'm still proud until the end of my career. <laughs> but uh, since I started competing in 2002, I, I never got DQ because I was overweight, you know. So every tournament, and it's funny because it was never easy for me to go there and make my weight. So it was always that fight, you know. Oh, I have to lose two pounds. I have to lose three pounds. I have to lose one pound. And oh, I don't know how many tournaments I have done so far. Actually, I have wrote somewhere, but I, I don't remember. But might be over 300 or 400 or whatever. And I never got the cue by being overweight over there. So, uh, but uh, I, what I do, I, I'm trying to be as much responsible as possible. You know, I see many people trying to cut weight and then they're eating everything they want and this and that. And then two days to the tournament, they decide they start doing that crazy diet. And the jiu-jitsu is not MMA, you know, MMA, you... You're going to do the waiting one day before. You're going to do like 10 minutes before. So you got to be really responsible. So what I try to do is I always try to comp- to train in the weight that I'm going to compete. So, for example, let's say I'm 10 pounds heavier. I don't want to train 10 pounds heavier because that's not going to be the truth. You know, I'm, I'm going to get used about like being heavy. And my passing when I'm... 10 pounds heavier and when I'm 10 pounds lighter, might be a little different. You know, there are 10 pounds difference over there. So I always try to cut my weight like two or three weeks at least before the tournament. I would say one or two months. But I like to train at least two or three weeks exactly with that weight that I'm going to compete. And uh, honestly, like my, I have tried doing a bunch of different diets, went to nutritionists, do this, did this, did that. Nowadays, all I'm doing is like uh, I pretty much I go I spend more money, but it's worth. I go to Whole Foods when I have to do diet. I go to Whole Foods for lunch and dinner. I go to the salad bar, and I only eat like quinoa and some salad plus like a uh, breast chicken or something like this, something very clean. And uh, 
man, uh, quinoa is, I think, one of the best food I ever saw to cut weight. I mean, like, you, you feel like uh, you wait well, you wait something like that give us sustain. And at the same time, you cut weight because it's not like a rice, you know, or something like that, or potato or this and that. So I try to eat as much quinoa as possible, plus salad and plus like breast chicken. So I do that until I reach my weight. And then I keep that balance, you know. I eat a little more one day, a little less the other day. And I check my weight pretty much like every day to make sure I'm not going over. So that's what I do to control my weight, you know. And it has worked for me for 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. I bet it'll continue to work. Do you ever have uh, like the days where you just have to have something uh, that's not in your diet? And how do you deal with that? I tr when I'm doing diet, listen, when I'm not doing diet, when I'm like off season, I eat wherever I want. I just make sure to check my weight like uh, once a week or so, just to make sure it don't go like too crazy. I don't want, I never want to stay like 15 or 20 pounds over my weight, you know. I don't want to feel myself like completely out of shape. But I accept being like eight or nine pounds when I'm completely off season, you know, or 10 pounds or so. So when I'm completely off season, I eat whatever I want and I check my weight like once a week just to make sure I'm not going too crazy. But when I'm competing, when I'm in the competition season, I check weight every day and I give myself one day to eat wherever I want. But of course, I mean, like if I'm 10 or I not be able to give myself one day. I give me one meal per week to eat wherever I want. So... I just keep a good balance, you know. I mean, like uh, I, I see how uh, how how it's my how how I am. If I'm too much he too heavy, I'm only gonna give like one meal to eat wherever I want per week. If I feel I'm comfortable, oh, I reach my weight, this and that. I'm gonna give one whole day, so I can eat wherever I want in the breakfast, in the lunch, and the dinner of that day. And I do like that. And when it's off season, I eat whatever I want every day. But I always check my weight every week to make sure, like, I'm not going too crazy and this and that. Uh, sounds it sounds like a good plan, Bernardo. I have a question for you from uh, one of our listeners, David. He wanted to know he's he's a white belt. He's competing for the second time, and uh, what would be a good game plan be for somebody at that uh, level? And what should he be focusing on? Just surviving? Should he be trying to get a submission? Uh, really, what should a white belt be trying to do? in tournaments when they're still you know still pretty new at uh, competing i think the best tip i could give to a white belt when they go to compete is to try to do the try to not do the biggest mistake i see the white belts doing when, when i watch one white white belt match for example what they do is they're trying to pass the guard they get the side control then they got side control they didn't even get the points they try to go to the mods and then they got the mold and they didn't score in the mold as well. They already tried the arm bar and they end up on board. And then the guy passes guard. The guy got the mold. The guy, it's a head mess, you know. <laughs> so if I was a white belt competing for the second time, what I really focused, for example, I passed someone's guard. I would freeze there. I would stay there for like 10 seconds, breathe, make sure I scored the points, Stay there a little more. Let the guy spend his energy. Okay, now what's the next step? Okay, I'm going to try to go to the mount. So you got the mount. Also, again, freeze there again. Stay there another 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds or everyone. Make sure you score the point. Breathe. Then you try to go to submission or you try to go 
here or there. So try to make sure you establish every position. If you got a sweep, hold the guy down. Make sure you score the points. Now let's think about passing the guard. But don't try to get a sweep and jump on the guy's back and do some crazy armbar and then we end up on board and the guy passes our guard and then you, that that would be my biggest tip. Well, that that's great advice and uh, and that sort of uh, I guess insight and, and tips are what we're finding on your on your blog. So that's uh, I, I knew you'd have a great answer for that. Uh, Bernardo, are you involved with uh, belt promotions and and, and training uh, newer students very often? Pretty much, uh, we I, I I teach at Marcelo's school, right? In this in the middle of this year in June, I'm open my school in the Boston area. It's gonna be in Bedford. It's not New Bedford. It's Bedford. And uh, but so far, I'm still at Marcelo's. I'm teaching here since 2013. And yes, I participate of every belt promotion and this and that. That's cool. I've got a couple of questions for you here. About uh, blue belts, do you have any belt requirements for a blue belt as far as uh, techniques go or what, they, what they're doing on the mat? Man, at, at, at Alliance, Fabio Gurgel, he created a curriculum that uh, – at Alliance, not at Marcel's, at Alliance. The, the, okay. Marcel's part of Alliance, but Marcel does his own things that I – I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I mean, like, I and I agree with the, most of the things Marcel does, I agree. And uh, he's a great teacher and super nice guy. So, but uh, at Alliance, Fabio has an Alliance curriculum, and Fabio does belt tests. But uh, and then there is a huge discussion here if it's fair or not to do belt tests, this and that. I see people saying yes or no, but whatever. But what I want to mean is, at Fabio's schools, for one person to go to the blue belt. It requires at least one average of 120 classes. So he has the control. And for example, if one person did only 50 class in two years, he's not ready to go to the blue belt. So I think it's to follow this exactly as it is, it's not perfect. But to have some idea is good, you know, because you don't want to – maybe the guy trains jiu-jitsu for three years, but he did 20 class. You don't want to give him the blue belt. <laughs> and uh, so it's good to have some idea of like uh, – and uh, sometimes you have like a very packed school as well, and uh, you, you, you don't have the control of exactly who is very tough and who is not very tough and this and that. And you cannot, I think you cannot graduate somebody only because the guy's tough as well or because he's not tough. Some people are not tough, you know, they, they, they are not tough and they will never be, you know, it's not their style. They, they're just, they are very technical, but they're not tough, you know. So, so I think it's good to have some idea of when you should graduate someone. For example, oh, this guy has around like 100, 130 class or so. Oh, he has a good jiu-jitsu. He knows how to do those techniques. Yeah, he's ready to go. Maybe he's not like a super tough guy, but I mean, like he knows jujitsu, and that, that, that's what you want. You know, we want our students knowing jujitsu and doing the best they can. You know, doesn't matter what what level they are. You know, we just want to make sure that they know jujitsu. Jujitsu is being good for them. They are learning. They are happy. I think that's the goal. 
Um, another what? Another blue belt style question. How important is it for students to be able to defend their belt? Uh, like, is it you know you promote somebody to purple belt? Are they still uh, never being tapped up by blues, or is it okay for an occasional uh, belt yeah, lower to catch them? Yeah, I tap for blue, purple, brown, black. <laughs> White, I don't think I tap, <laughs> but I can tap. That can happen. Why not? You know. But uh, uh, I think this mentality, like, oh, I'm brown belt, I cannot tap for a blue belt. This is very old mentality. I think if you if you train really hard every day, you know, if you, if in one day I roll with Marcelo, I roll with Mateus, I roll with John, I roll with Munch, I roll with Marcus. Man, if I go with one blue belt in the last round, I might be in the deep problem. <laughs> So, I mean, like, I don't care for that, you know. Yeah. I think that's not the thing, you know. I mean, like, if if I think if you are worried too much about protecting your belt, you stop learning, you know, because you, you're going to stop, you're going to start selecting through who you're going to roll because, oh, I don't want to roll with that guy because maybe he's going to tap me. That's not jiu-jitsu, you know. You are there to learn, to have fun. And uh, I think you are there exactly for that. You are there to learn and you are there to have fun. You don't need to worry if you are there to beat people or being beaten. You don't worry about that. Just worry about learning. And just worry about having fun. If you're going to protect your belt or not, who cares, you know? Uh, another one here. When it comes to uh, somebody uh, promoting somebody to a blue belt, how important is it that they are like a good teammate, they try hard, they help others, those kind of uh, things that aren't necessarily just related? How important is it that they have those? Yeah, this is very cool about Marcelo's school. Marcelo is very deep in that. Marcelo, like, uh, if the guy is a bad person, I think he's going to take a very long time to get his belt. Because <laughs> uh, bad person, we mean, like, it's very rare that you find someone like that, you know. But very many times you see guys with, like, bad attitudes, this and that. Then, man, Marcelo holds that guy down, you know. And it's I think that's the most fair thing, you know, because... Man, when you give someone a higher belt, you are giving this guy power, you know. It's it's a type of power, you know. And you don't want to give your power, sorry to use this word here, guys, but to an asshole, you know. Yeah. So uh, Marcel is very, very like a good guy, you know. And he want to be, a, he want to have everyone being like a good guy, being good examples as well, you know. And I think that's that's the way it's, as it should be, you know. Imagine like a new students coming to our school and then most of the students are like not nice persons, this and that, and they're all like higher belts and it's not cool. So I, I think the the attitude should be very important when you consider graduating someone as well. Yeah, that, that that's good to hear. Um, when it comes to uh, giving a blue belt to somebody, do you ever, have you ever regretted that? Have you ever regretted giving somebody a blue belt? No, we, we at Marcel's there is no belt test, so we we get together like me, him, Paul, and the, the other instructors nowadays, and uh, we we take our decisions. You know, sometimes happens that all of us we are like, oh, I don't know what to do. Let me think. <laughs> that happens, you know. But uh, regret, I'm not gonna say, you know, because if you took the decision, you took the decision, you know, and. Uh, yeah, that's I think good. that's it. <laughs> uh, one more about the blue belts here. Do you have any advice for a new blue belt? For a new blue belt? Yeah. Uh, if I had to say something, it would be pretty much what you were saying here. Like, keep your ego low. 
not only in the blue belt, on all belts, and try to learn as much as you can, having fun as much as you can, and train as much as you can. But don't worry if the white belt's gonna tap you or, or, you know, I mean, like, of course you should worry about if you're learning well or not. But don't worry if the the guy tapped you or not, because that this is gonna stop your learning process. You know. Wow, that that's great advice, and it it's something that. Uh, I remember as a blue belt, I was worried about, you know, getting caught in the you know, tight triangle by, an, by a white belt or something. Oh, I got to not tap to this. But really, I should be focused on learning. And if maybe uh, some guard pass is ending up to where I get triangled sometimes, I need to work on that and not just oh, throw it away and, and not and not work on that. I need to work on uh, with making myself better at jiu-jitsu, not getting uh, avoiding yeah. getting tapped out by somebody. Oh, I mean, like for example, I'm black belt, right? So if every day I start getting tapped five times per day by blue and purple, <laughs> and white, I'm gonna start getting worried. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, you know, if it started too often and by guys much lower belts than you, maybe you're doing something wrong. So I would get worried. But yeah. I would definitely not get worried if one blue belt tapped me tomorrow or today and that happens. Okay, no problem. Gonna still train anything and if everybody. You mentioned your uh, new school that you're opening up. Uh, what are what are your goals that you have? Maybe this you said it's open up in June. What are your goals you have? Uh, maybe for the rest of the year with your new school. Uh, everyone says that the worst month to open school it's June, July, <laughs> and August because it's summer. Yeah, but uh, I open my school in June <laughs> because uh, I'm. Uh, I, I want to do one more words at least. I don't know how many more words championships I'm going to do. So I'm going to compete the words. And then my plan is to open the school like right after. And it's going to be in Boston in the Bedford area. And uh, I pretty much already got the place. So I'm going to start promoting very soon. And I'm very excited, you know, because it's going to be a new phase of my career. I mean, like I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm a jiu-jitsu teacher since a long time ago. But it's going to be my first school that I own, you know. And I picked Boston because uh, my partner on the online project that I'm doing is from there. So everything's going to be much easier. And uh, th- this school I'm doing by myself. It's it's, it's going to be only me. But uh, I, I saw that there, there there was a lot of jiu-jitsu. And there was no one school I like, completely focused on competition as well. My, my goal is not to focus only on competition. But I I, I want to keep keep having like a good competition team and this and that, and I also want to focus on the, a lot on the regular students, on the older grapplers, and self defense guys. So I'm very very excited for this new project, and I can't wait to start. You know, I'm gonna do my best, same way I did in my career. I'm gonna do my best as a teacher as well, and uh, it's gonna be a lot of work. It's gonna be like training, teaching, doing my online stuff, and. But I'm very excited. I like working hard. <laughs> yeah, that I think your your hard work and, and your grit, your ability to just buckle down and to work hard has uh, had a lot to do with your success uh, on and off the mat. Uh, you know, as I see your success on the mat and I see your success on your website, hopefully the, uh, the your blog will become easier and easier as you're having to learn less skills and you're just kind of maintaining and, and doing that. And then, uh, you know, training for worlds and then opening up your school. You definitely have a busy year ahead of you. Uh, I know you're a guy who could handle that year, uh, and, uh, and have success with everything that you really put your heart towards. 
Thanks so much, Rio. Thanks so much. I'm happy, very happy to see your podcast growing too. Just today, for example, when uh, like 10 minutes before we made the podcast, I, I went there just to see like, man, let me see how many episodes. And I saw like 160. How many episodes total? Yeah, almost about 170 at the time of recording this. Man, so. that's awesome. You know, that, that's good. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's uh, I think like it's a lot of fun sometimes too. And, and getting to talk to somebody like you or, or to a great uh, coach or a great practitioner or somebody who has a unique perspective on, on what they're doing in jiu-jitsu, it's, it, it really helps uh, keep it fun. And uh, <laughs> days like this are, are days I'm excited to have a podcast. No, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank it's you. very cool to see this growing more and more as, as well. All right. Well, thank you uh, very much for hopping on with uh, on the line with me today, and it's been a pleasure talking with you. Man, anytime you're Anytime you need, I'm here. Thanks so much. I'd like to thank Bernardo Faria for coming on the show. Like I said, this has uh, been the third time on the show, and you can just tell from talking to him, like, how happy he is, you know, just talking about jujitsu. Like, even though we're not in person, I feel like he's smiling whenever he's talking. He's so passionate about jujitsu that it just makes me want to get out on the mats and start training. Yeah, I just, uh, it's always great to have him on the show. We need to get him back on here sometime. But uh, it's great that you have somebody who's so good at jujitsu and is such a happy person. And the two could go together. You don't need to be like super intense and stressed out and a jerk. No, you can be a really nice person and be great at a sport, at least this sport. And uh, it, well, I think it could be any hand. sport. Probably yeah, so. I think yeah. any sport you could be that way. But uh, it's it's just neat to. I don't know. I can feel his passion and his happiness. I, I think he when he starts talking about jujitsu because he loves it so much. I think that's he just gets so happy. It kind of sounds like it. Just uh, you know, talking to him, but. Uh, uh, I don't know. It just gets me fired up and wanting to train train right now. Yep. You know what gets me fired up and want to make more podcasts is our Patreon uh, account there, where people have signed up and they are they're pledging like a dollar or two dollars per episode. So when we put an episode, uh, they kick us a few bucks, and it really means a lot to us. We've got a lot of people on there. It really in the past few months has grown a bit. We've got Anthony, Greggy, Beth, David, Brad, Mark. Shahanka and Sean and Rob, like all these people in here supporting us, and it means a ton. Uh, so if, if you want to hear uh, the podcast doing well and uh, and financially uh, support us a little bit, this is a great way to do it on Patreon. Uh, at certain levels, you get certain different things. Uh, probably the most uh, significant thing is, a, is the BJJ Brick Gee Patch is five inches, and we'll mail it out to you when you qualify for it, basically. And how this works, if you pledge, like, let's say a dollar an episode, you're not going to get your credit card charged a dollar every week. Uh, it'll wait till the end of the month, and I think it's really at the beginning of the next month, it'll say, okay, we had four episodes, it'll charge you a $4 uh, one-time thing. And that's basically how it works. That way it's not doing a bunch of random charges every week. Uh, it's a one-time deal, uh, a reoccurring, one, it's a once-a-month thing that uh, will reoccur until you you know decide that uh, you don't want to, you're not able to support. It's not a big deal if you can't, but uh, if you're able to hop on there for a few episodes or send us some support, we definitely would appreciate that. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. So if you're wanting to help us out, we definitely appreciate it. Hey, also uh, make sure you uh, tell your friends about this podcast. Um, you know, like Byron said, it's it's a big form of flattery for those guys there on Patreon to support us. It also is a big form of flattery if you listen to 
listen to our podcast and you let your friends know when when somebody sends us an email at bjjbrick at gmail.com and says hey I, I really love your show my friend you know bernardo told me to listen to it and uh you know that means the world to us so uh definitely if you enjoy the show probably most of your friends would enjoy the show also let them know about it and also let them know about us on social media um facebook is a big one for us and uh, our ever-growing youtube channel so check out facebook youtube we're also on twitter uh reddit but uh our biggest two are facebook and youtube right now yeah uh our youtube thing We've got a brand new drill, my friends. Anybody who's wanting to, to work on their guard passing while they're standing up, we've got a great video that will uh, at least make you smile. Well, black belts only. I think you, you gave a word of caution when you posted it. Super dangerous uh, for anybody who's not at the black belt level. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Basically, it's a silly video with four people dancing. Uh, very odd. And uh, it could be like a semi- uh, guard passing, you know, a lot of leg movement, and they, they're constantly yeah. breaking their grips with their hands. I don't know. I, just, yeah. I thought it was humorous, and we've got a few funny videos on there. But uh, check out our YouTube channel. Yeah, speaking of humorous, what do we got coming up next, Byron? And I'm not talking about your humorous bone. We've got the Matt Tales. Let's roll it, Gary. This is Matt Tales. We bring you amazing jujitsu stories. The stories might be funny, unfortunate, it could be about an epic fail or an epic win. So sit back, my friend, relax, dry off your sweat from rolling, and enjoy Matt Tales. I have about 8 to 10 people come to my house and roll twice a week. We roll in my basement. People show up at different times due to getting off of work at different times. My son is usually hanging out upstairs, and I have him send the grapplers to the basement whenever somebody knocks on the door. He knows all the guys that train regularly, but sometimes we have a new person show up. So when somebody shows up that he doesn't recognize, I tell him to mess with that person by asking for the secret password. Well, this takes us to last Tuesday. Last Tuesday, we were rolling in the basement. The doorbell rings, but I know my son will get it, so I don't bat an eye. A couple of minutes later, some older dude with a beard and large black case comes strolling into the basement. We all stop. As we notice and stare at the gentleman with a large black case. He is stunned to see dudes in shorts, and many of us tight shorts at that rolling around on the mats. At this point, it was like a Mexican standoff, where nobody said a thing. We just stared at each other. He stared at us, and we stared back at him. Tension was high. Finally, I said, Are you here for jujitsu? This is odd because everyone knows not to invite somebody without my permission. Then it dawns on me that maybe he was delivering a ton of pizzas because the case looks like a very large pizza bag. Another guy training asked, 
if he is a masseuse and brought a large portable masseuse table. He looked very uncomfortable and a bit intimidated. And finally, asked, Is this where band practice is? I'm the keyboard player. The black case he held, not pizzas or a masseuse table, it held a keyboard. He asked with some embarrassment in his voice, Is this address 111? I said, No, we are 115. You need to go next door. He quickly ran up the steps, never to be seen again. We got an interesting story out of this deal, but I imagine the story he told his bandmates about the weirdos next door would make one amazing music tale. This has been Matt Tales. Some of the names and places may have changed. We may, in fact, have taken some creative liberties with the story. In order to keep Matt Tales going, we need more tales. Tales from listeners like you. Send your tales to bjjbrick at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing your amazing stories. do 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 Wah, wah, wah. Gary, <laughs> anybody who appreciates that uh, music probably enjoyed that one a little extra. Um, yeah, that was that one was fun. I could just imagine a basement full of sweaty people grappling, and then uh, not knowing anything. You know, if you're in the music world, you don't know anything about the, the grappling world necessarily. You know, like you walk down, what are these guys doing? What did I what did I just walk into? And just kind of that yeah. standoff situation. Where everybody's staring at you, you're staring at everybody else. Clearly, you're in the wrong place, you know. But uh, how do you break that tension? Yeah, I couldn't imagine what he said to the uh, to his bandmates when practice next door. That must have been a a little strange. But um, think of the other part of the story. Imagine like if he was really a really good jujitsu guy, and he came downstairs. He's like, "Hey, you guys train? I'm a black belt. I'd love to train with you guys." That would that would have been crazy too. The odds on that one are a little bit less than a guy that could play. Much less, <laughs> much less. But, you know, if you don't know what jujitsu is, like, um, you know, that guy sounded like, and you imagine coming down and you seeing a whole bunch of guys wearing rash guards or geese or, you know, basically strangling each other out. And you come down here with a big old black case that looks like it might be filled with pizzas and, and have no clue what's going on and, and just like, Man, what is this? Some kind of uh, you know weird, crazy movie. I I like the uh, the process of him having to get downstairs first by answering a password <laughs> from a child. <laughs> like so, when he goes back to his bandmates, not only does he have this weird situation in the basement, he's got a kid who was like the gatekeeper, and he's like, "Guess <laughs> what's the password?" And he evidently said some sort of a word. And the kid says, yeah, go ahead. And so, like, that is added on to his side of the story of, of how weird this club is where a child is, is in charge of letting people uh, get admission to it and uh, gain access to the basement where you really don't want to even be unless you actually belong there. Yeah, what a situation. I hope <laughs> I hope there's a music podcast that has something like Music Tales. Like, we have Matt Tales, and they can throw this that at him. That one's on there, yeah. They, that would be great. Yeah, that one. Maybe even one up this one. You know, I don't know. 
yeah. as far. But that one would be, I guess, more, a little bit more weird because they really would never understand what was happening in that basement. Yep. Yeah. So I think what we should do next week is that person should send one of his buddies who trains jujitsu next door, give him the wrong address on purpose, and uh, see if they let him in. You know, to the basement to break to to play instruments, or if they tell him right off the bat, "Hey, sorry, you're at the wrong place. You need to go next door." The the relationship between the two neighbors might be a little affected as well. You know, if you knew that you've got the secondhand advice or secondhand information from your friend, like I went down, you don't know what he said. I went down the basement. There were guys without shirts on, sweaty, a whole big group of them. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. was really weird, and you're like, "What the heck is going on?" Yeah. And you so know, now one when, guy you, even, when you're yeah, one the guy lawn, even had a leather mask on. <laughs> Probably not the case. Well, but, you know how stories get changed. Yeah. He's never going to – he's going to embellish the story. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so I guarantee you it got changed. But th- but then when, you, when you're getting the mail or you see the neighbor drive by and you wave at him, it's like, will they wave back now or do they think you're too crazy or, or what's yeah. – maybe they'll show up for the next one. Who knows? Yeah, or maybe they put their house up for sale. <laughs> uh, we enjoy a good Matt Tales, and we got one there. If you, But we do need people to keep sending these things in. Otherwise, uh, we really run out of stuff. So if you have kind of an odd story like this one, send it in, type it up, send it in to bjbrick at gmail.com, and uh, we'll be happy to, to put it to some appropriate music if we have it and, uh, and make a little fun story out of it to share with the listening community. Also with the Matt Tales, we do have a, a BJJ Brick Fun Pack for sale. It's three ninety nine, three dollars and ninety nine cents. It's kind of like the audio book, but uh, it's just a bunch of Matt Tales and uh, and some of the highlights from the world's most interesting grappler. Uh, if you got a road trip and you want to have some Matt Tales ready to go, of course all the Matt Tales except for one are available uh, in the podcast. You just have to go find them. Uh, one of them is exclusive to the uh, BJJ Brick Fun Pack. But uh, other than that, uh, it's just a fun way to to be able to have them on your your phone or your computer as a big MP3 file with a lot of them lined up. So check it out if you're interested. All right, Gary, next week is the end of the month, which puts a lot of pressure on you and me, my friend, because the last episode of the month is just between us. We pick a topic and we kind of pick it apart and have fun with it. I think next week we're going to do the we're going to talk about some of the top mistakes made by people who are doing BJJ. And uh, Gary, get your list going there, and I'll have my side as well, and we'll uh, see what we come up with, and we'll be discussing some of the top mistakes. Are you making them? Am I? Have I? You know, I'll definitely be sharing a few that I've made before and, uh, and, and lessons learned. And uh, if you can learn from our mistakes, it might help you out. Yeah, definitely. So uh, make sure you tune in next week uh, to find out what mistakes can be made in jiu-jitsu and lastly uh, very important if you are in the wichita kansas area or traveling through and you'd like to train with us hit us up facebook page or our email address is bjjbrick at gmail.com and we will do what we can to get some that time with you we always enjoy that and as always stay sweaty my friends and don't forget to shower thank you for listening i hope you find the time today to roll after all The best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.